welcome to the e-lounge. In South Africa, the 3rd of December is uh, recognized or celebrated as National Day of Persons with Disabilities. In recognition of this day and the month, the Train Management Agency has partnered with a disability activist, Mr. Musa Zulu. This collaboration is on a book publication called I Am Art. For this next e-lounge, please join our COO, Mr. Sepo Khobe, in conversation with Musa Zulu. Musa Zulu is a published author, an award-winning entrepreneur, international artist, celebrated motivational speaker, and a prominent disability activist in South Africa. After achieving his honours degree in sociology at UKZN in 1993, he continued to lecture in the Faculty of Humanities before moving to the corporate world as a human resources manager. He was first climbing the ladder when his life took a dramatic turn at the age of 23. Please join this conversation as it's one of our knowledge share platforms anchored on our values of leadership and learning. We do hope that you will take away the lessons, engage in the conversation, and always remember that those who desire to lead should read. That would be today. As the song goes, I'm going to make a change for once in my life. I'm going to make a difference. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. As I read through these words, and I remember it matters for us to be the ones that make the change. Today, I bring you an incredible story. Incredible is not the proper explanative at this point in time, but a story of triumph, trials and tribulation, personal victory, and ultimately the winning. Because everybody tells you about these trials and tribulations, but they never tell you about the winning. My guest today, he's jumped out of a plane. He has climbed Kilimanjaro. He has created an incredible company benefiting the arts and people living with disability. Musa Izulu. Welcome again. Thank you very much for a brilliant introduction. And I guess I could not have asked for an introduction more fitting given that tomorrow is International Day for People with Disabilities. And thank you very much to the audience that has come and joined us here today. And the fact that the audience is also from a, spe a special school for students with disabilities makes this occasion even more important for me and profound for society. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And thank you for reminding me of the important issues that pertaining to... But you have to people living with disabilities. You are beyond living with disabilities. I mean, some of the things you've done, I still have to do. Um, and I've done most things, and I've traveled as much as uh, anybody else. But let's start in the beginning. Ah. Who is Musa Zulu? I was born in 1971, which means on the 10th of December, I'm going to be celebrating my 50th birthday. Over the 50 years, I've come to realize that life is a challenge, and that at all times we are called upon to rise to the occasion. I studied 
in township schools throughout my education span and realized that even during the times of apartheid in South Africa, township schools were already a hot pot in terms of preparing us for what is to come. And what was to come was change. I then left to go and pursue a junior degree at the University of Natal. And fortunately for me, at a time when South Africa was changing, and we were no, no longer just bracing ourselves for change, but change had already started showing its processes and the fact that in no time, all of society and all of us were going to change. I then left the university to go and pursue, because I, I always loved working with people, went into human resources at uh, Tongat Mushrooms. And again, fortunately for me, right at a time when changes in South Africa were manifesting themselves in our reality. It was at Tongat Mushrooms that my personal changes also came to be. On the 20th of April, 1995, I was involved in a car accident that left me in a wheelchair. Amazingly, because I had grown up in a society that always was pointing towards change, I would say it was much easier dealing with my own personal changes. Why was it easier? Because already I was 23, and at 23 you already have, in, in, in many ways, defined who you are, including where you want to take yourself in as far as your destiny or destinations are concerned. I wonder what would have been about all of me if I had been paralyzed before then. I was paralyzed at the right time. As I say, old enough, having already defined who I was and what I wanted to be. And I was also paralyzed at the right time when South Africa had changed into a democracy that was giving us hope of a life where all of us, in terms of our aspirations, were going to be given opportunity. And of course, South Africa never really said it was going to be giving to anybody simply because things had changed. South Africa had also said to us a promise was going to be possible for those that also wanted to lead their own selves towards their changes. I wonder and I shudder to think of what would have happened if I had been paralyzed in apartheid South Africa, where that promise had not been given or the platform had not been given to everybody to show their colors in what we were referring to as the Rainbow Nation. I also come from a family that uh, already had taught us right from the beginning that you are what you want to be and you are what you work towards being. With all of that, a society that had changed, a society that had already prepared me for its social and personal changes, I found taking disability to be not as difficult as it would have been if it had happened without that platform. Musa, you speak of your paralysis in positive manner. I, 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 and I wanted to, you know, your Damascus moment didn't just happen. Ah. Obviously, you, you, you had an accident, mm. you were paralyzed, and your sister gave it to you straight. Yes, she did. <laughs> she gave it to you straight. Like, yeah. in, 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 in earnest, uh, um, she told you straight that... You are never going to be able to walk again. And when you hear those words coming from a person that really cares for you, then you pull yourself out of a corner of misery and say, well, if those that love me 
already point at the fact that this is my permanent state of affairs. I might as well see what I do with this. And what my sister did was not only tell me that I was paralyzed for life, she also gave me a mission with a full understanding that I was of a social standing much better than many, that I should then go out there and make it a point that a child with a disability in my society or my immediate environment at least came to understand exactly what disability was all about and if possible also came to understand exactly what opportunities could be that could take them somewhere. Let's talk about that because in the book you say my accident resurrected me and that this disability is a weapon. I, I have never ever <laughs> had anybody talk about an accident and disability as a weapon and, and, and a weapon for change. I mean, it, it, it must have been a, 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 what do they call it, a moment of note for, for you to go from where you were moping around, feeling sorry for yourself, to where now you say, my accident resurrected me. It did, in many ways. I was 23 and really did not have a story to tell that was different from any other person. And now with the wheelchair given to me, I had a story to tell. Number one, a story of resurrection from what many would call a final ending. Number two, a story to tell of how possible it is to redefine some of the terms that we always give concrete definitions. What am I trying to say? People will say, you are no longer able to walk, as my sister rightfully told me. Yes. But disability forces you to say, what exactly is the definition of walking? If walking can be defined as an act of moving from point A to B, and the wheelchair can also give you the same, then sitting in a wheelchair in many ways is still a part of walking. You can still, can, you can still walk from point A to B, literally or figuratively, moving from where things are not into where things are. Let me make you an example, and this is what I mean when I say disability allowed me to tell a different story. I remember in 2007 visiting, because my sister said to me, you are going to have now, because I was already driving then, said you are going to have to visit young stars in a hospital that have been newly disabled to talk to them about hope. At that point in time, the only story that I could really tell was hope. But with time, I realized that it was not just about hope. I had been placed in a position where I could network with people that could also give resources towards making it a point that whatever aspiration that a young child entertains could be brought into being. I remember sitting in hospital and looking at this young star who was all alone during December yes. and thinking to myself, this can't be good that a child with a disability is in hospital when others are enjoying uh, Christmas cheer. What can I possibly do? And this is what led to my establishing the Sander Wills Initiative, which today is a full 16 years old and has even been adopted by the Train to make it a point that in December, toys are collected to be given to children with disabilities and I also get the opportunity to engage with them beyond just distributing toys. Out of, the, out of the Santa Wheels initiative also came the edutainment tour for special schools for children with disabilities and Belvedere in 2017 got the opportunity to go on an edutainment tour where they were shown places where they could go after completing school and some of them even 
uh, uh, giving presentations on how to apply for bursaries, apply for jobs, and a lot of other, uh, uh, what we call this thing, items that could benefit the life of a child with a disability. That would never have been in my life if I had not sat in a wheelchair. And there is much more to it than just uh, Santa Wheels and these entertainment tours. At one point in time in, in 2006, I joined forces with a friend of Wusindemain to establish the Mezulu Trust, which today has given bursaries for students with disabilities to go to, uh, to tertiary institutions or institutions of higher learning. And today, in our database, we have 120 that have qualified with three-year degrees and diplomas and are employed in various sectors all over South Africa. Musa, I want to talk to you about something. And, 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 and in that day, you thought you were going for your own checkup, just alone, and there's going to be you and the doctor and all of that. Yeah. And you get brought into a community. Yes. Because remember, initially, you thought you were alone. Yes. Now, in... What what to me struck me the most about reading that story is that at the current moment, you know, beyond disability and everything else, because remember there's COVID and people get isolated. Mm. And beyond getting isolated, then you also happen to have a disability too. Mm. Now, you have made it your life's work to create these communities. What in the moment when you sat there and the light came on. Happened right there. It, it, you know, I'm, I'm always fascinated by people's Damascus moments. When, when something happens that just simply switches on the light differently. A Damascus moment only occurs to those that are opportunists. And many people will always say the word opportunist is in the negative. But the word opportunist literally means one that can see opportunity and exploit it. I was always an opportunist. Uh, it's, it's true that lights went out when this happened. Yes. But when I suddenly realized that this was a new turf in a society where uh, a, a lot could be thrown into this soil, fertile soil, because change is very fertile. A lot could be thrown onto this fertile soil to grow new seeds. No, not just new seeds, but new trees. Then that's where the bulb lights up. Suddenly you realize that if there is a child with a disability that has absolutely no direction, I could give them GPS towards their locations. If there is a young person with a disability that has just finished metric, I can literally open the whole new world to them. But remember, it's not myself that is doing this. It's the situation. So I always say, I'm not the... I'm, I'm not the person that has made it happen. It's the disability that has presented to me. And fortunately, presenting it to me in a society that is also welcoming to these changes, welcoming to these opportunities, and even welcoming to these achievements. I would never, ever sit to, to say there is a lot that I've done for people with disabilities. Instead, there is a lot that people with disabilities have done for me, including giving me the platform I was never a spokesperson for people with disabilities, was never even one of the leaders in their organizations. But as an individual with ideas, people with disabilities have not only opened their doors for me to express all of these ideals, but have also created an environment and a platform for them to happen. Let me make you an example. I'm sitting in the year 2010, South Africa has just celebrated uh, the, soccer, the FIFA Soccer World Cup. 
and Moses Mapeda is now standing empty and I'm thinking to myself, what can we possibly do here since it's going to be Disability Awareness Month? Uh, I then sit with a couple of people in the disability sector and I say to them, it would be brilliant to have awards specifically for exceptional women with disabilities that have made it and have also demonstrated capacity to change society. Trust me, I'm not the one that then drew the list of those 12 that were awarded in 2010 and the Tributes Initiative is already now 11 years old. It has always been people with disabilities coming with the list, a full list of all of these exceptional women sitting down with me, profiling each and every one of them right down to selection. Other people could have easily said, who do you think you are? to be paralyzed at the age of 23, when all of us were here, long before you, you even encountered these changes, for you now to tell us that you have programs that are national and you want us to assist you in making them come to life. People with disabilities have been very kind to me. Their special schools are the ones that give me these children to take them onto the how train for Santa Wills and these edutainment tours. It is organizations for people with disabilities that come to me and say, we have a certain child that has passed metric, could you assist with the bursary? There is very little that I've honestly done to approach or to go to the sector. The sector seems to have gravitated towards me and made all of these things possible for me. But Musa, you're a difficult man to say no to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I say you're a but difficult already, man to but say to. I've already to. confessed that I'm an opportunist. <laughs> okay. Opportunity, you, you're a difficult man to say no to. I mean, as, but as I went through the book, bit by bit, the picture grew for me. Yeah. Beyond just having a Damascus moment, you also come with conviction. Yeah. Conviction that goes beyond just what you do. And, 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 and I will take it with me through my life. You say, I will not put my art and my signature on a wall that I don't know how it was constructed. Yes. And, and, and that to me sits with me. It, it, it sits well with me. But sitting here and these youngsters sitting there and saying, but... I'm a person either with a disability or, you know, I come from a particular school. How do you develop that conviction? It's out of love for life. We are not only living, but have been given an opportunity in a medium that we need to know very well. If you do not know life, then there's absolutely no direction that you're ever going to say, this is mine, and I'm going to follow it right through. So when I say I will never put my signature on, an, uh, or, or, or on my artwork and then place it on a wall that I do not know how it was constructed, in simple terms, there is absolutely nothing that I'm ever going to do that I have not come to research about, get to know exactly what it's all about, so that I can make my stand knowing that another person is going to find it very difficult either opposing me or shutting me out altogether. The same is with the disability. The reason why I've handled it so well is because I've studied almost everything about disability. Number one, a disability in terms of uh, my own, sitting in a wheelchair, and then also getting to know the other nature of disabilities around me, so that when I assist that particular individual, I'm assisting them or I engage with them, I'm engaging them from a position of an informed perspective. Many people fail in life, in voyage. 
not because they do not have resources, not because someone else did not come through to say, can I meet you halfway? Simply because they close their eyes to the possibility or to the importance of getting to know exactly what they want, what surrounds it, what could be, in such a way that they can make those choices and even garner those relationships with those around them in a solid way that defines exactly what they want to the T. I want to go to something that to me speaks to me quite importantly so. You say you do what needs to be done irrespective of who you're doing it for yeah. or who is watching at that point in time. And, yeah. and that is interesting to me because when you had a chance to create a, um, a, 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 a piece of art for the late uh, Goodwill's religion, His Majesty, yes. you had to make an effort that irrespective of who is receiving this, this still has to be the best art in the world. Now, it's, that, a, it's a philosophy that governs all of my actions. Everything has to be excellent, regardless of who it is going to be given to or, or who it is being done for. Let me put it this way. I remember when I started all of these programs, from your bursary programs to the awards programs to the many other things that I've done, that I made it very clear that if South Africa changed from its apartheid formation to the democracy that we are now enjoying, that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that I'm ever going to do which does not paint the colors of the rainbow that we are aspiring towards uh, creating. So I make it a point that in all of my programs that I do, all races in South Africa are represented. All age groups are represented. All natures of disability are represented. All aspirations are taken care of. If you develop that philosophy towards life, then whoever that you work with is an esteemed guest. Be it his majesty when we are drawing him that artwork, be it a young child that says, hey, my father told, told me that you draw. Can we draw together? I will put in the same effort, the same love, the same passion, same excellence that I would give to any other person. Now, the good thing about that is you then live a life where everybody looks up to you as a person number one of high standards and your work then also follows suit, follows suit in terms of its value as you price it in the market or how people receive it, whether you give it to them as a gift or they buy it from you as an exchange. That, that is inspirational and, 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 and ultimately you are a man of many talents. Yes. But the one talent you go back to time and again yeah. is you and the pencil. I'll, one day I'll tell you my story, me and the pencil. Uh, we, we do not have a pretty story. Uh, <laughs> I studied engineering and we had to do a, a, a drawing yeah. as, as part of first year. And um, one thing with me and the pencil is I can't keep my hand off the paper. So yeah. I end up making the page dirty. So <laughs> I, I, I nearly came second because of the fact that my drawings are not clean. Not the fact that I couldn't interpret drawings, but, yeah. but you chose, it's a difficult medium to work with. Ah. Um, and, and, and it's a medium that takes time. It, it, it's, um, tell me more about your love for, what they call it, for drawing with, uh, with pencils. I remember in 1978, my father used to buy the daily news, new, uh, the newspaper. And uh, the, the cartoonist was Jock Layden. And I would always look at those cartoons and think, wow, look at this. And I discovered it very early, and I was only eight years old, 
that Jock Layden was not only just uh, drawing characters, but was drawing epochs or moments in time. Yeah. And cartoonists, particularly those for newspapers, will always bring in political satire. I, I, was, I was hooked. And fortunately for me, my aunt who worked for one of the hotel uh, establishments brought me a book by Jock Layden. In other words, something like, uh, you know, Zapiro, yes. the cartoonist. If your auntie were to bring a full book of those cartoons, uh, and she said to me, here, you're always looking at this. I brought you this. And right there and then, I picked up a pencil, and I started copycatting and discovered that I was good at it. And this was 1978, no, 1979. Fell in love with it. But there's much more to pencil than the fact that I fell in love with it. Over time, I discovered, uh, especially as an adult and as an established artist, that I would visit schools where teachers would tell me that their students were also interested in drawing art, only to find that there were just a few uh, artwork on the wall, and most of them were done in paint. And these teachers would then say to me, and I always felt like it was a bit of a setup. They would say to me, uh, the reason why we called you through is because we really would like you to assist us with gathering all of these drawing materials for our young ones so that they can draw much more than just these few pictures that you see on the wall. And I would always say to them, but if they, are, they already are showing an artistic inclination, why do you always want to push them towards mediums that are going to be expensive to acquire? Mm -hmm. There's always the pencil. Hence, the, uh, the, what they call this thing, the chapter in the book titled The Pencil Revolution. What that basically means is pencil is a very uh, easy to acquire, uh, what we call this thing, instrument. You do not necessarily have to be killing yourself about amassing resources to get that, particularly for children in developing societies whose institutions do not have enough resources or adequate resources to be buy buying them these paintbrushes and all of these uh, uh, what you call this thing, uh, instruments that are very expensive to allow them to draw. So I love pencil from that mean, from, from that angle. That number one, it came naturally to me just to grab it and do my thing. And number two, that is actually very uh, cheap and accessible, particularly to those from underdeveloped societies that would love to develop themselves as artists. Yeah. So. Tell me something. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by people when they speak from within. Mm. You say the process of drawing is more important than the finished product. Yeah. Now, in a world where, you know, instant gratification, everybody wants to be on their cell phone and, you know, see the latest meme and everything else, how do you advise people to enjoy the process of creating and learning as they create? M most people that will achieve in life, and I'm not only talking about creatives, most people that will achieve in life are people that respect life and engage with life as a process than an end product. That's deep. I want to go into that. but yeah. <laughs> So if you take it to drawing, Yes, I honestly find it much more intriguing putting together the whole concept, whether mentally or as I'm uh, going through the motions of uh, bringing it to, to, to life, than the end product. Because the end product, at the end of the day, well, it's the end product. 
but there's so much more that came through. Most people do not know that we as artists lose ourselves in the process. Yes. And as you lose yourself in the process, you really get to feel its central nervous system. I don't know if you understand. I understand. There's this process of elevation that is very difficult to, to put into words. A person will say to you, I would like you to draw me this, this and that. And when you come with the final product, they say, wow, thank you very much for uh, uh, abiding by the, the, the brief that I'd given to you. And I always look at them and I think, if only you knew, you knew just how far and wide the process took me of assembling all of these pieces together towards making what you are saying wow to. Well, I guess I cannot then say to a person they are wrong not to understand the process because they were not there. But for me as an artist, and I would like to believe for us as human beings, whether tomorrow we are conferred an honorary doctorate or a lifetime achievement award, many people will only just understand it at that level of that, gradu of that uh, process of graduation. But us as individuals, we know where we've come from. We're exactly like a mother that says, when they see their child graduating, if only people know where we come from to be here today. The same is with the artwork. If only you knew where we've been to have come to this that is now framed, and I'm presenting it to you to place on your walls. Musa, after 40 years of you doing this, yeah. you're consummated it, you're the best, what do they call it, to be able to talk about it, yeah. and you've had revelations. I mean, you've lived an incredible life. Yes. Here am I, I'm a youngster, I'm sitting out there, I'm going, but uh, this Musa here is now talking, you know, uh, now that he's a celebrity now, he, can, <laughs> he thinks he can issue out all these, what do they call it, these fancy thing. words, like yeah. the process of drawing is more important <laughs> than the finished product. I want to see the finished product. No. No, uh, and and I'm, I'm saying, now I'm, I'm being challenged, you know, like, there I sit there, you know, like I know when I'm finished here, yeah. uh, my LinkedIn is going to be running and saying, ah, this Musa of yours, yeah. he's just talking, because now that he's a big shot celebrity, he thinks he can throw away all these, you know, energies and everything else. But you do not necessarily have to be established to start throwing these big words. I introduced <laughs> myself to these youngsters when I came through here. And this young man here told me something very uh, profound. Yes. And I would say that even before we are defined as established, there is always that bombastic expression that we are going to throw that sheds light to, to, to everything. I said to him, you look much younger than the rest. And he said to me, I started school when I was born. <laughs> wow. Now, trust me. I'll take that with me. I, I, also would love I don't stop these things, but I'll reuse this one. I also would love to take an expression like that because it's much bigger than most of the expressions that I've ever done. So what I'm trying to say is you do not necessarily have to start speaking a profound language because experience has shaped you towards... Uh, such expressions sometimes they come from within and in coming from within they are inborn and all we just need to do is to grow them with time such that they place us where we want to go do not ever look at a person that is established and think wow it's much easier for them to say this truth is it is because they've gone through all of this process instead you should be looking at yourself at a point in time and saying what process am I following such that in time or with time 
I could also be at that level of expressing things the way that these people who I define as established or already mature in, in, in a particular uh, field express themselves. But it also begins with the confidence to know that young as you are, or a beginner as you are, there are expressions that you can also cough out to make the foundations of the world shudder, just like the young man did for me this morning. As we talk about that, and I'm, I'm taken back to your book, mm. The Language of Me. Yeah. Um, in, 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 when you read through it, there's, there's an artistic use of the English language, the, the language of me. Yeah. Now, that book is incredible in the sense that you're telling people that they should find their their own language. Their own language. Yeah. In this case, your language is art. Yes. But let's talk a little bit more about the language of me. It, it, it's it's one of those phrases. I looked at it time and again, and as I went through the book and and and, and I was thinking about it and says, how do people create their own language? You create your own language by number one respecting the fact that you are an individual with your own individual experiences. Language is a tool for defining experience. And if you can define experience, your own experience, then in many ways, you are coining your own language. What is my language? My language is art. My language is motivation or positive thoughts and how you go about translating those positive thoughts into positive actions. Fortunately for me, my initials are M.E. for Musa Emmanuel. The experiences of Musa Izul in his own expressions. That is basically what that book was all about. How I am going to sit down with you and say, this is what has happened to me. But it's not only just the experience, it's also how I'm relating to the experience and in many ways grabbing the bull by the horns and literally making experience work my way. That's the language of me. Now, we're sitting here, and I've got a youngster out there on the, what do they call it, on the internet going, yeah. but, you know, the things that go viral are the things that I saw somebody do, and, you know, they, I mean, I, I look at what do they call it, I'm a content creator, yeah. and as a content creator, my biggest challenge that sits out there is, there are no new thoughts. Yeah. There are no new thoughts. There are no new, uh, you know, people are not creating anything new. And, 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 and I, I, I struggle with that. It's like, how is it possible that everybody is trying to repeat what everybody else has done? That's because people do not really want to start speaking their own language. That's exactly why. People want to speak another person's language and it's never going to be your language. And in many ways, you're going to be repeating what other people have said or even creating what others have already created a long time ago. The process of creating new language does, also does not mean that you are going to be originating something that has never been there. Disability was already there. Please. Way before I was born, or even my ancestors walked the planet. But how you relate to it, and the language you give to it as you define the experience, then leads to new dimensions that can also throw in new products. Sadawil is a product, yes. if you understand what I'm trying to say, but it could have only come through if I, if, 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 if I spoke the language of the experience. The problem with people 
is they then sit down to say, well, it has been created, what can I do about it? And then there's also this uh, uh, phrase that many people use of, you can't reinvent the wheel. Fact is, humanity has been reinventing the wheel ever since they discovered that it could uh, lead to better motion. Do you remember that the wheel in Roman times was uh, wooden? But this wheelchair with the same wheel is steel. And then you have rubber that also came through. And in many ways, all of those introductions, as people were grappling with changes and society that was developing, they were reinventing the wheel. Now, it all begins with the language that we speak. If the language you speak corners you, then you are never going to, re to invent anything. If the language that you speak corners you, then you are never going to take that already is, what is what already is, and define it in new ways that make sense in terms of social development and people's evolution. We reinvent the wheel every day. And I wish people could go back to language and say, how do we interrogate language such that it leads to new beginnings? The word disability and many other words that begin with the prefix D-I-S connote the negative. But if we all start saying, you cannot define my experience in the negative or even term me in the negative, what new words can we coin towards making it a point that the experience now resonates in the positive and allows our minds to stretch towards new frontiers. I remember when I was writing the language of me that I suddenly discovered that uh -uh, it's not in my language to term myself disabled because I have these abilities. So we then Frey coined the phrase this ability. And out of the word this ability, to get today we have our own newspaper that specifically deals with positive stories of disability where it's not for us engaging with language and saying how do we push things towards new frontiers where we're going to start developing new expressions the newspaper would not be here today but then it's not just about the newspaper it's also about the networks that the newspaper has created where it's not for us re in, re in, realigning language all of these networks would not have been uh, possible to even define or put into action today we would not be here today because were it not for that newspaper and the realignment of language. All of these thunderwheels and these connections that were developed with all of these people in the disability sector would have not come to be. We would not be sitting in this e-lounge today for this brilliant uh, interview that many people are going to source inspiration from were it not for us re-engaging and realigning language such that it leads to all of these processes that have brought us here today. But not all has been smooth sailing. No, certainly not. And uh, I would be lying if I say so. There are many doors that have been shut. Some of them shut forever, but some of them opened with time as we engaged with people further or forcefully got them opened. But it has never been smooth sailing, not at all. Me and you have a, a what do they call it, a, a weakness for a particular brand of cars. Yes. I won't mention it on air, but <laughs> <laughs> me and you have, what do they call it, have, yeah. have, have, have a, a small soft spot for a particular brand of cars. Yes. Here you are, you're thinking, 
I love these cars and uh, uh, I am going to create a calendar for these cars yes. and therefore I will engage them and they gave you a meeting. Yes, they did. And I get to that meeting and they look at my artwork. Beautiful artwork. I mean, if you read the book, <laughs> the artwork are there. What I did, uh, uh, my, 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 my fellow students, I sat down and I thought, okay, the BMW has an individual program where a person can go into a in BMW dealership and say, I want my car this way. So I sat down as an artist and I said, what is it that makes people say, I want things this way? And I thought, okay, one of it is the stars, you know, the zodiac and how people always align themselves with their stars and literally make their stars or their uh, the understanding of their stars shape their destinies, their likes, their choices and all of that. So I sat down and I, draw, I, I drew pictures of or artwork of the BMW and matched them with all of these signs of the zodiac. So I went to BMW very confident that they were going to look at this and just think, wow, this genius or this Zulu genius, let's give him whatever that he wants. They only looked once at the artwork and they started saying, ah, no, 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 we can't allow our brand with this supernatural whatever. Yes. Instead of being disappointed, I paused and I looked at them and I laughed until I was rolling on the floor. They looked at me like, what type of a person is this one who, when a door closes, still just laughs about it? I was laughing about it because, honestly, I had come in there to win and it didn't happen. But I was laughing because I knew that those artwork that I'd done were so individual that no other person could have ever drawn anything like that. Sometimes you will fail because people say, no, and it's not even failure. It's people's choices saying to you, no, unfortunately, we can't have it. Woe unto you if when they say so, then you collapse. Amazingly, I then established a beautiful relationship with the company, which still is living up until today. Some of these programs that I'm talking about, like your tributes, awareness, uh, awards programs, yes. those ladies are driven in BMWs from the relationship that I established with the company, trying to give them something, and they said no. But I believed so much in myself and the products that I did not take offense or even thought, well, the door is closed, where can we go now? Fact is, any door that you go and knock at, do you knock at or knock on? whatever. Any door that you approach to knock, whether it opens or not, the fact that you were there and you knocked, never forget that because there could have been something you are looking for, which one day when that door opens, you will find. Well, they still have to call me uh, for my content creation because <laughs> my cars are always in there. <laughs> in the, in, 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 their cars are always in, 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 in the videos and everything else that I create. But yes. Let's talk about this thing of yours, of being able to take disappointment and turn it into opportunity. I was disappointed when I was paralyzed, and look at where I'm sitting today. That's one thing, but how does the mind work? Because I've got somebody out there at home thinking, uh, there goes this Musa Izulu again. He's, he's now, you know, uh, he's now a big shot, and he now he says uh, these things. But there's somebody out there who is just looking for that light. Um, what does one try and look at and, and how does one find the light in it's, disappointment? It's very difficult to find light when you do not even appreciate the fact that you are alive. 
I was 23 years old when I was paralyzed in a car accident. And there is one thing that I've never forgotten. The fact that on that very same day I could have died. The very same day after I was involved in a car accident, I had to appreciate the fact that I'd been given a second chance. Sometimes in life, you will avoid disappointment by understanding that that moment in time could just be a turning point where you are awarded the sec a second chance. Or maybe that moment of disappointment could be handled differently in such a way that other people learn from the fact that you can handle disappointment and in many ways start opening doors for you. Personality has never really been put at the forefront of social evolution or even of opportunity and how we utilize opportunity to the best of our potentials. But if you have a personality that is negative, you are most likely never to develop yourself any, any further, especially in moments of disappointment. But if you have a personality that is open to the fact that things can or things cannot be, you are always going to find that you can realign, readjust, and in many ways, find your state of equilibrium where things are beginning to happen. There were times when we would have resources, but there were absolutely no students with disabilities that we could confidently say, these deserve the bursary to be taken to school. We would keep the resources, keep the faith, go back to, to the sector to say, we need more until they were found to be given the bursaries for their further study. So what I'm trying to say is, sometimes we do not necessarily get disappointed because things have not been given to us, but we could also get disappointed when things are with us, but we cannot distribute them in a way that is meaningful. Now, if you have a mind that embraces all of those angles of reality and possibility, then everything is always an open window if you understand what I'm trying to say. The problem with people is they have these personalities where if they hit the wall, they crash, they crash. Shatter into pieces and simply forget that it could be if things are done differently. Fact is, anything that is a unit or a unification is a collection of pieces. How are you ever going to unite a vision that goes forward. If every time things shatter into pieces, you can't take them and group them together as a unification or a unified whole that can find a new life. Same is when you find that you are now sitting in a wheelchair. If you can't appreciate the fact that it's a second chance and a second chance to collect all of those, these pieces and create a new whole that takes you forward, then you're done. These children will teach you so much more. Stereotype. People's reactions towards people with disabilities. Institutions' reactions towards institutions for people with disabilities should have killed these children a long time ago. But these children are here today as an audience supporting another person with a disability and saying, we can manage to collect the pieces even when society scatters us to pieces, to a point where we can see our own heroes and travel the world to be with them at their moment of celebration. 
you become celebrated yourself. And once you've become celebrated yourself, you're even featured in an exam, an Isu Zulu exam. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the question I had, and, and as I went through this book over and over again, is that how do you not get punch drunk with fame? Or in the famous words of Kanye West, how do you not get high off your own supply? Um, I get high on my own supply a lot of days. <laughs> honestly. You know, let me tell you something, and this is true. As a person with a disability in a society that is unforgiving, you are always aware of the fact that you need to make that punchline for people to really start understanding exactly who you are. You can't just do it the usual way. There should be an angle that you give to everything that makes people sit up and say, not only wow, but mm, I think I can learn from this. Now, how do you do that? You don't do that by being humble sometimes. You take your very same stash and get high on it so that people fully understand that in, 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 in what you call this thing, in, 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 in constructing your own building. In speaking you your own master language. Planner, you know? yes. and until you fully understand that you are the chief engineer behind your life and it really gets into you. It's always going to be one of those guys that are trying. Oh, well, no, he did it today and all of that. Sometimes it does not help to be humble, especially in a world where they've never really allowed you your own humility. You have to be bombastic. You have to be high on your stash. You, 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 you have to stand in front of an audience and say, this is who I am, take it or leave it. Other people then miss the point and become arrogant. It, you don't necessarily have to be arrogant to be your, or your own self and to shine your own colors. You just have to let them shine. And in many ways, their rays touch other people in ways that motivate them to a point where they celebrate you. I love that. You don't have to hide the light. All you no. have to do is the light must not be blinding to be able to, for other people. Exactly. Okay. But, but allow that light to blind you first, if at all you wanted to blind other people. Other people who attempt arrogant, do not even know the light that they shine, but they believe they have this light and are always going to be take, telling people in these bombastic words or in these bombastic actions, and at times even alienating people. You can't alienate people, or you can't really come to fully understand the brightness of your race if you have not let them shine into your own eyes to understand their power, then you can share it with other people. You're looking at the men in the mirror. Men in the mirror. Maybe we're taking a break <laughs> to exactly that. Now, you're sitting in your own car, minding your own business with your brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes this beautiful creature and you, you, you lose your mind. You know, in the olden days when I still worked in Devon, um, an old friend of mine said to me, um, this thing will happen. And I said to him, what thing? He says, one day a young woman is going to appear in front of you because I was told him, uh, me, I'm never ever, ever going to get married. He says, one day, this woman is going to appear in front of you, <laughs> and that will be it. You're finished. And that happened to me. But tell me your story. Uh, you know, Jabu, and the life-changing moments that you've had. And, and, and it's, it's a, it's, 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 to me, probably the anchor point that creates this great man. One of my favorite bands is the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Why? Because I was always a Rolling Stone. Never really gathered any moss and never really worried 
about standing still. And this is the power of love, because it literally turns the rolling stone into a, a cornerstone. Love is a cornerstone versus a rolling stone. When I met Jabu, I, 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 I knew that the feeling was not just from me, but from everyone. And that's what true love is all about. It literally engulfs you. And I knew that nothing was ever going to be the same after just looking at her approach towards me. And I remember I even said to my brother, wait, do you see that woman coming our way? And he said, but there are many. I said, no, the one that is walking in slow motion when all the <laughs> others are walking fast. And he said, well, I said, that one defined her. And I said, that woman was born to be my wife. Now, that's, that, that's what love at first sight is all about. And love at first sight, Mandabami, is powerful. And I wish all of you, including you young men that started school when you were born, to experience, to experience, the, to experience the, the full power of love at first sight. The thing about it is you do not necessarily grav gravitate towards love at that point in time. It gravitates towards you. It arrests you. And before you know it, it changes you from a rolling stone into a very responsible uh, person that now can even grow a family. Probably the greatest gift that I was given by life after doctors said to me it was going to be a big problem for me to have to father children was meeting Jabu who has today given me two beautiful daughters including one that God took away from us on their first day of life. That's what happened to me. And I guess what I did, I could not resist it. And that's the other thing about true love. You do not even have to try resisting it because your resistance is already broken down on first sight. I allowed it to, to come my way. And it has shaped me into a much better person than I, I, I used to be. I remember that uh, when I met Jabu, I was living in Peter Marisberg with my brothers and we were living in this huge house. And there was a room dedicated to just my framed artwork. Jabu comes into my life and she says, what the hell is happening here? This is a complete waste of money. The funny thing is, to me, it was collecting my own pieces, which on days that I could choose, I would take these things, exhibit them to the world, never even allow anybody to buy these things because they were mine. Now, that's what love does. Love unshackles you from your selfish way of looking at life into a way of sharing. Because when Jabu came into my life, she said, we cannot have in this house a room full of artwork that is framed and only taken out occasionally and not even distributed to the world. Take all of these things and show them to the world, not only just show them to the world. Give them as gifts to everybody that you care about. If she had not done that, today in South Africa, I count anything up to 15 buildings that only have just my artwork on the wall. It would have never happened if that woman did not come through to say, you are literally taking a candle and putting it under the table. Let it shine. Today, I'm an established artist respected in South Africa because I allowed those artwork not only to come out occasionally, but to be taken and placed on buildings whose walls I had even come to understand exactly how they were constructed. Yes. And in many ways, those artwork found meaning a meaning that they would never have found behind closed doors. So Jabu to me is much more than love. Jabu to me is growth. If it were not for Jabu, she found me when I was still um, 
casually writing the language of me. And she said to me, no, but this, this is very serious stuff that you are talking about here. I'm going to assist you with finding a publisher. And not only did that lady find me a publisher, she had read the manuscript and knew that no other publisher could handle the language of me except for an academic publisher, which is why my book was taken to UKZN Press. It was not because UKZN Press was the first publisher that I found. It was because someone had read my manuscript and knew exactly where it could sit. Now, had Jabu not found me an academic publisher, ten years later, the language of me would not have uh, uh, achieved its first and probably highest milestone, where Dr. Ken Lipenga, a Malawian, uh, what we call it, a journalist, submitted a PhD thesis at, uni at the University of Stellenbosch. And one of the books that he had analyzed uh, under the title of Narrative, uh, Enab uh, Disability Narrative Enablements, it was the language of me. Now, so what I'm trying to say is, there was much more than just love at first sight. That woman literally created the person that you see today, both in terms of the work that I do, in terms of my approach to my dis the distribution of my uh, expressions, and of course in terms of shaping me as not just a rolling stone, but a responsible man who today proudly says he has daughters, a home and not just a house, because those artwork were actually inside the house but Jabu, in taking them out to the world, transformed my environment into a home. Well, I guess they say uh, beauty lies not in the eye of the beholder, or, but in the eyes of the BMW keyholder. <laughs> 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 you have a restless mind, say, and, 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 and I'm, 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 I'm intrigued by, you know, some people call them their demons, their, you know, their, their own way of being able to... Um, Settle down there, what do they call it? Um, that restless mind, because it's only when to you, it's only when you draw that you, 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 you can now settle down there, what do they call it? But your process beyond that, in, in because you've got a lot of energy, you, 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 and 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 you know, beyond your mind, there's also the energy that goes with that body that that you carry. How if somebody's sitting out there and saying, I want to be like this man, but. I've got this restless mind that just keeps on going and keep on going. I find an outlet. Okay. You always have to find an outlet. And for me, there are, there, are, there are multiple outlets. I'm like a pressure cooker. I always have this energy that has to come out. It's either I'm going to settle down and draw. Unfortunately for me, I always have these commissions. Uh, and, and commissions are not just a question of sitting down to draw. Commissions are, you are given a brief that you need to go back and you know, interrogate, uh, go out and read a lot of books. It's an outlet for me. A commission for me allows this pressure cooker to, you know. And then I also write. You will most probably find that I have a post I release on Facebook maybe four times a, a day. Mm -hmm. And other people say, but that's a lot. No, it's not a lot. The reason why I'm able to give you a 468-pager is because I then go back to all of those Facebook posts and the reactions that people gave to those particular expressions to create paragraphs for my books. So nothing is really done just for the sake of releasing energy. 
it's always done towards a particular uh, what do you call this thing because energy released is energy lost at the end of the day mm. unless it's released towards a particular objective of harnessing it for future developments or, 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 or products I also love music I allow myself to release all of this energy in my love for music and it's not only just about releasing my love uh, my energy in my love for this music that's how I develop my poetry because a lot of the poetry that I write if you were really to sit down and you knew the songs that I love and all of the collection of music that I've gone into some of the lines are actually stolen from these songs which is why then the poetry that is written has rhythm and in many ways musical I also love driving I'm a motivational speaker and I have these invitations from all over South Africa but most of the people that uh, invite me to come and speak will tell you something that is common throughout this man never really says I will fly to you he says I will drive to you it's also a form of releasing energy but why do I choose to drive versus flying I'm an artist and the changing landscape releases this energy because I interpret it and later sit down in that hotel room where you have housed me to draw these bits and pieces which tomorrow will be in, will put me in good stead when a particular commission points towards a direction or points towards a relationship with a certain symbol that I drew, uh, what you call this thing, uh, inspired by the, lens, the changing landscape as I was driving towards my destinations. It makes things easier. Because everything that you do at the end of the day is going to be collected into a particular product that makes things possible to happen. Musa, you change a lot of people's lives, sometimes even not knowing. You go to the US and you are there and you meet somebody who you had given a book to <laughs> yes. a few years back. I'm intrigued by you wrote a message in that book that was so personal for that man that you changed his entire life. At, at the point when you were writing that message, and I guess we've discussed this before, but what was going through your head? I mean, like, I, I, you know, it's, I, one of these days they'll invent a machine that downloads people, so I'll ask. <laughs> the first person I want to plug onto this thing is you. No, but then you have said it before, that I'm never going to put my signature on a wall that I do not know how it was constructed. This gentleman's mother came to me uh, in Pinetown, Wazulu Natal, and said, my son uh, lost his hearing a few years back and he's depressed so the message was specific to us that what do you call it to us that uh, experience and circumstance i i am always amazed by writers who are launching their books and you have this line of people that are coming here for your signature and the writer puts the signature next it doesn't work like that every single person has to say something in their introduction that you need to interpret as a message that you are going to write to them. But it's a question of allowing yourself time to listen 
and time to listen does not necessarily mean 10 minutes listening to one individual just that thing that someone is going to say translate it as a message and you'll be amazed that the message is exactly what they needed at that point in time even much better when a, say a company has retrenched these employees 500 of them and you have been invited as a motivational speaker to speak to these people who tomorrow are going to be having uh, to, 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 to be unemployed and this company has even gone further to buy books, your books to give to these people each and every one of them as a goodbye and you come there with, with books that only have to bear your signature You've got to be kidding. In other words, you are transacting, then making a difference, or, Im or, 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 or motivating a person at their moment of collapse. Sit down and write messages that are motivational at a point of collapse. And those people will treasure those books for always. Now, there's something that you said before we even got into this argument. You said I've changed a lot of people's lives. I'll be very honest with you. I believe many people have changed my life in many ways by these little words that they say that allow me then to write these words that change their lives. You now have and run advocacy that goes beyond people with disabilities. Mm. Now, your message is quite profound. And, 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 and to me, as, as I went through the book, because this, this, is, this is a thesis, you don't just read it, you, you go through it and you, yeah. uh, you analyze, you synthesize and you come back and you realize that a lot of this is interconnected. Yeah. What is your recipe for friendship? Because everywhere you've been, your friendships have always, and when I say friendship, I mean your relationships. Connections can only be physical. The first thing that I do when I enter a room is I'll go from one person to the other. Firm handshake, straight into your eyes. The relationship is already there. Most of the time we have this tendency of going on stage and just going, hello, even when the audience is not so many that you cannot be going from one person to the other. I am a person of connections. And connections for me start with literally that firm handshake and that... Uh, connection because then people trust you or you trust that they are uh, experiencing the moment as you are experiencing it outside connections there cannot be relationships even if you were to try in a superficial way to you know hi I've come to visit you and this is who I am until you really connect with each individual on a personal note and the personal note can also be in a form of that message that you write for each person then those, in, those relationships are, are forever. I mean, I'll be sitting right here, and the teacher from a school that I took out on an entertainment tour says, I was still wondering exactly what is happening here, but when I saw you, I thought, no, this is happening. It's because there was that connection that was much more than, hello, kids, let's go to a particular place for entertainment purposes. But there was also that, uh, you know, uh, personal touch with every single individual to a point where people never really forget you and you also never really forget them. Then in the midst of all of this high-flying Musa Izulu, Jabu walks into your life and says, no, you got to get organized. Yeah. 
let's register Valala Art. Oh, that was probably the greatest gift. Because, I mean, with all of those artwork in the house, those MC, uh, what you call it, uh, assignments yes. at weddings and this and that and that, most of it was really done just for fun. Uh, you'd be MC at this wedding where these big people were part of the audience, but we're just doing it for fun. I remember when the Deben uh, ICC opened, I had a friend, Usandile Nombete. Uh, mm -hmm. And amazingly, Usandile Nombete meets me after I was paralyzed. He did not know me when I was still walking, but we just became friends out of this connection. Usandile goes to his father and he says, Baba, uh, for my wedding, I want my friend Musa, Musa Zulu to be. I was still Musa Zulu then. Yes. It was only with the language of me that I was Musa Izu. Okay. And the father says, No, you must be joking. I'm not spending money for an MC in a wheelchair that I do not even. And the boy says, Baba, you don't know what you're talking about. That's my MC. I get to that wedding, and one of the people in the audience is giving him car. Okay. And at that point, giving was uh, at, uh, what you call this thing, a uh, metro. Yes. And yet this program that was listenership when I was in the millions. Yeah. I so wish I got that opportunity in 2001 when I had registered Valhalla Arts. Mm -hmm. Because what came out of that moment with Given inviting me to come to his program and many people then asking me to do these MCing things there's something about registering a company. You start taking yourself seriously. You start looking at your value and how much you really think you are worth. Before you register a company, it's, it's, it's like doing it for fun. It's part of life. But then Jabu says to me, you need to register a company. And this is the company today that has brought me here. Much easier to even engage with stakeholders in society from a sponsorship perspective because you have a company. Yes. You can't just be given a sponsor because you are Musa Izulu that writes books. Outside a formal registration, there is very little engagement you can have with other uh, stakeholders in society in a way that makes things happen much easier than they would if you are just an individual, whether a celebrity or anything like that, if you want to call it that. So registering Valhalla Arts did not only just mean handling business in a, in, a, in a professional way, it also meant aspiring to do things much better or even at a higher level than uh, previously done. Today, I'm not only just a book writer, I'm also a book publisher. Of course, I do not publish any other people's books. It's only my books that are published under Valhalla Arts. Yes. Valhalla Arts then manages not only the development of the books, but their distribution, their sales, the contracts that I signed with other people, and so forth, all the way to intellectual property. Because outside intellectual property, and I've always said this to artists, there is very little of movement in terms of how you want to shape your things that you can ever achieve. It was with registering Valhalla Arts that I took myself to all of this level. The power of family. You've got an uncle that said to you, an artist must take like the full control of full the control yeah. of the IP, and and their responsibility is towards their own intellectual property. Yes. Yes. I mean, how many how many singers today will tell you I can't even sing my songs at a wedding 
because uh, uh, what you call this thing, a certain publishing company or a certain music stable will not allow for it until I've asked for permission. It's a bit imprisoning. I remember my first two books, The Language of Me and Wheels on the Sole of My Shoes, were not self-published. They were published by other people. Uh, the UKZN Press, Nutrient Publishers for the second book. And I would not even be allowed, unless I asked for permission, to quote my own poem and place it in a newspaper article. Now, these are my words, but by law, copyright belongs to the publisher until a certain number of years where the publisher can either say, well, we've exhausted this material, you can have it, or you have enough money to sit and square up with them to say, I need mine back. Today, I manage, not manage, I have full control over everything. It was the language of me exactly 10 years later when all of these things had been done the publisher then said respectfully, no, you may have it now. You have run with it, we have run with it too. The same was the wheels on the sole of my shoes. Now, it means I can take the very same language of me and quote it in this book without having to ask for permission from anybody. I can take the very same book and turn it into an e-book for my own profit without having to share those profits with anybody. Or I could even take the very same book and dish it out as gifts to whoever that I think is deserving without having to go to a publisher to say, can I buy? But Musa, in the advent of what do they call it, of us creating, and especially us who create on the internet, mm. a lot of people are not aware of this. Mm. And, and, and at what point in time are we going to make sure that people are aware of the fact that everything they do is actually uh, IP? It goes to immediate gratification. The problem with people is they are obsessed with the rewards of today to a point where they will even surrender the best of themselves to another because they are telling you that, no, we can give you X, Y, and Z, only to find that those people are even making much better than yourself. But I'm also of a belief that every one of us should go through a process where someone is managing us and managing our products, including intellectual property, and we grow ourselves to a medium or an, a, a, a level where we now understand exactly the name of the game and can take over things to us, our own self-enrichment and empowerment. I have a very big problem with uh, people, and it's happening in South Africa today and throughout the whole world, where a person writes their first book and is self-published. What the hell are you doing? You are putting your name on a wall that you do not have any knowledge of how it was constructed because this is an industry and the industry has its own rules its own laws its own possibilities and its own what they call this thing limitations you can't just be self-publishing your first book and hoping that you are going to crack the market unless of course you were some lucky person who people loved so much that by virtue of your name people are going to buy these things in thousands but again, you are going to find that you are limited because you do not understand the name of the game in as far as distribution yes. is concerned. And even how to fight for your own copyright in, in, in case where people infringe it. Mm -hmm. It's very important, just like a student, to go to school first. Graduate to a point where you go and be employed and with time find yourself self-employed and self-regulating. It's the processes of life. If we are going to go to artists and creatives to say anything, we need to be honest enough 
to let them understand that as creative as they are, they still need to sit on that desk and be students to be taught. And with those teachings, graduate into self-management. Musa, you're a brave man. You normally speak truth to power. Yeah. And you are one of the few people who actually have made Kosatu uh, write a declaration yes. after you had spoken. Yeah. Now, you get invited. You know, you are worried about you. I, <laughs> you get invited to Kosatu's 10th <laughs> year. Yeah. And then you decide you're going to throw them off. Yes, I, 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 I had to. <laughs> because let me tell you something. I still find it amazing that the South African labor or call unions yes. talk about workers' rights and, and, and in what you call this thing and, and right there there's workmen's compensation. Hmm. Why would there be workmen's compensation if there's somebody, if there's nobody that is going to be injured on duty and has to be compensated. Now, there are many things that can happen when a person is injured on duty, and one of them is a disability. And fact is, most people that are compensated in workman's compensation are left disabled, are, are, are compensated because they've been left disabled. But here you are with COSATU, that is an, uh, what do you call it? Uh, National a, Federation. National Federation of all of this, and they do not have a disability policy. It doesn't make sense. And they've invited me as a person with a disability. I have two choices to make. Bask in the glory of a person with a disability that is right in front of this sea of, of, of red t-shirts. Go home, take a picture, post it on Facebook and say, hey, I was invited by Kosacho on the 10th Congress. But what did I say? Maybe I said something like, viva, Kosacho viva. And everybody goes, viva which is what every single speaker has to say in front of a, a militant organization because unions are militant by definition. Mm. Or forget about slogans to talk truth to power. And truth to power is you are basically saying you, you, you have workers' rights uh, at, at the forefront of your mission. But there are disabled workers here who are either taken home on the basis of ill health, which is what happened to me, by the way. Yeah. The company where I was working, at 23, named me a pensioner that was boarded, what do you call yes, it, boarded, on the basis of ill health. No Kosatu said anything about a 23-year-old that was only 10 months into this opportunity, gets disabled, and the company signs me the best of what they could give to me and say I should go home. And remember, I'm not the only one. There are many. Maybe I was lucky that I had enough of educational qualifications. I could establish myself as some consultant. If at all, I, I, I decided to go that route. But most people will take this pretense that they've been given, go home to rot away. Or the company then says, well, you are a manager. Why don't we do this? Because you are in a wheelchair now and your office was upstairs. Let's take you to reception there where you are going to be picking up calls and rotting away, pushing pencils. And you have Kosati celebrating their 10th anniversary. And they've called me to be on stage to say something. It's an opportunity to tell them off and tell them that this just is not it. 
And the good thing about speaking truth to power and from a position of confidence and experience is people listen to you. And this is exactly what happened as written in the book. The following day in national newspapers, they were declaring that they are going to have a disability policy. But many years later, nobody has acted on what they call it. That's the thing. On, 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 on that policy decision. I mean, I, I found myself intrigued by what you said. And, and because we've never thought, you know, it's, it's always about, now it's about hiring people with disability into the business. Mm. But you've got this workman's compensation that will quickly just, you know, you want to hide your mistakes mm. to be the truth, to, to speak the truth. It, it's, I, I found myself wondering about it because it, I think it was the first time it was put across to me in a manner way now, I think of it in that sense. Mm. And, and, and I, I still say, 10, how many years later? It, it still has not been. It has not been implemented in full. But again, speaking truth to power also means turning the gun, the muzzle, and pointing it at my own self as yes. a person with a disability. Here is someone that has gone and told Kosati off. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And they sit down to say, hey, what he said was true. And they draft that policy. Now, what have people with disabilities done to make it a point that that law or that uh, policy, which Kosaitu then quickly said they were drafting, really translates into action? Let me tell you something. People with disabilities still have to sit down, and I'm going to say this knowing that some of them are going to be very annoyed that there he goes again. People with disabilities really need to sit down and say, what are some of the things that we've really not shouted about? You have this whole month that is called Disability Rights Awareness Month. And not once throughout all of this month do you ever go back to say, by the way, Kosatu, you said you now have a disability police. Could you come and sit with us to tell us exactly how that policy has manifested itself in terms of our empowerment? Please. No, but we're still going to be talking about grants. We're still going to be talking about employment equity. We're still going to be talking about uh, universal access. And we're also going to be talking about uh, this, this, and that. Sometimes things are not to be left in the hands of the people that say, wow, we are now changed, but it's up to us to make it a point that the change that they say they are experiencing translates into something that we can see. I fully understand that what was said to Kosato was profound, and what they did was also equally profound to establish a policy right there and then after listening to that uh, dribbling. But what did I do myself, Musazu, to make it a point that in every other Kosato celebration, they are bound by a contract that says, last year we said this, and now it has translated to this, which is bound to translate to that. We talk too much, especially because we're motivational speakers, and we leave people inspired by these words that we speak. But do we really go back, or maybe it's not even our responsibility, do we really, as motivational speakers, do we really go back to say, how is the message manifesting itself with the changes that are creeping in as days unfold? But even more so, 
if those messages or motivational messages were made on behalf of a sector that sector should have made the point that after that door was open it was left open at all times for floodgates of opportunities yes. based on this policy to never be limited or interrupted again musa can i challenge you with Ooh. what with your own words yeah can i challenge you with your own words I still say we don't do enough. One, to educate senior management in companies. To educate them, like to, to just educate them that because the policy will not change. Because the first thing everybody thinks about, oh no, ramps, we gotta do this, we gotta accommodate people differently. Whereas they, everything is already there. You know, I had a, what do they call it? I had a difficult challenge from Sada uh, um, about how the how train is not usable and most of other things, and I took them on the system. You know, you 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 have traversed this province any way you want uh, on the how train, and the ease of doing it, you can speak about it clearly. But the education is not there. Is, and, and, and I don't, you know, sometimes the, there's an advocate in the Department of Transport. She'll speak about these things and also about things. But it was only on the day when we went, uh, you know, uh, on the system with some of the members of SADA and a whole lot of people that we both were educated. To me, I still say, yourself and what do they call it, and, and, and probably the fraternity, we're not doing enough to educate everybody. Uh, including the sector itself is not doing enough to educate people about what is available now. It's very easy sometimes to point fingers and forget about the fact that the first people at the forefront of awareness about themselves yeah. is the sector itself. The how train has been here now for 10 years. Nobody in South Africa does not know about the how train. If you were to go anywhere in South Africa and talk about the how train, even, to be honest with you, in some of the... Because there's one thing about South Africa. South Africa has people that have TV and people that have cell phones. There are very few people that will tell you that they do not know about the how train. But how much of wanting to go and experience the how train have we as a sector tried our best to do? Okay. We've taken Santa Wills there. Yes. We've taken entertainment programs there. Yes. For all special schools all over South Africa. Once this door has been opened, how do we make it a point that our own gets to understand what this is all about? Remember, some of them are never ever going to be able to come to Johannesburg to experience it themselves. Yes. But if they have those television sets, mm. they can always phone the how train to say, hey, could you bring us certain recordings so that we can show it to our young ones who tomorrow are going to be growing up to go to Johannesburg to fully understand that there is a train of this nature. And remember, it's not only about the how train mm. that you can do so. Yes. You can also go to South African Airways and say, because South African Airways, for a person in a wheelchair, this is what happens. I go in there, I check in. They then take me to this place where I wait for a truck with a hydraulic lift that lifts me up. Mm -hmm. The truck then goes to the uh, rear end of the aeroplane where this truck delivers me into the aeroplane. How many disabled organizations and many people with disabilities fly? 
or many people with disabilities can fly. How many disabled organizations have approached the SAA to say, please give us that footage to inspire our young ones about flight? Yes. There is employment equity in South Africa, and COSATU even drafted that policy. Trust me when I tell you that many organizations for people with disabilities know about these things, but how many of them ever collect the constituency to say, these are your rights? I'm not saying they do not do it, but I believe we've done more by the sector itself. Before you even start pointing a finger at managers, a lot would have been achieved. Then let's take it to managers and society in general. Who does not, you know, there's this thing, uh, there's this line uh, of argument that almost makes me mad when an institution says, we would love to employ people with disabilities, but where do we find them? Where do you find them? I'll tell you where you find them. You will find them in their homes. They are your mothers, your sisters, your brothers, your, your family. Mm -hmm. You will find them in church. People with disabilities go to church. You will find them in taverns. People mm -hmm. with disabilities go to taverns. Mm -hmm. You will find them driving cars. You will find them in their organizations and the disabled sector in South Africa is highly formalized. The problem here is on both sides. Mm -hmm. We never really want to explore and to take what is available and get to understand how far it can take us. Like the how train. No, but how can we talk about the how train when we can't even go there? It's in Johannesburg. But we have a TV set which can play a cassette or today with all of this technology, mm -hmm. it's a matter of linking and the children can see and go, wow, I want to aspire to get there or I know that my society has developed to this level or even SAA have upset, or on the side of managers and the people that are always telling us that they want to do something for people with disabilities but they cannot find them, just open your, your window and you will find them all, over, all, all there. And all of them, what will just need or be needed of you to do is then to profile them and say, okay, these are the ones that I need. And there they are. Musa, me and you can talk until the cows come home. Um, let's take some few questions from what they got from the youngsters in the in the audience. Uh, <laughs> nobody wants to ask questions. No, we're not gonna pick on you, the man who went to school when he was born. <laughs> Anybody wants to ask a question? Let me see. You've got some questions online. No, continue. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for you guys. I still have more questions. I can ask questions. Oh, I, I do have questions, but yes. Yes. <laughs> the man who went to school before. Yeah. <laughs> So how do you guys um like how do you how did you write the book in the first place? So where did you start? Where did I start with writing the book? Yeah. In order for anybody to write anything, there should be an idea of what they want to communicate. 
you remember that I said disability gave me a story to write about, a different story from the usual. So it was my disability that made me want to write about my life in a world where I wanted to find myself and find others. Other people will write books on fiction and maybe because they just love uh, the stories of cops and uh, robbers and they want to uh, communicate a message of doing good in society and that will then lead them towards writing that story. Other people want to write a story about having gone to school when they were born and that story then becomes your book, my boy. So, so you say um, many people have, have tried to like, like write many, many other stories like Toy Story and yeah. those other books. Yeah. So how did they start it? By just having an idea to communicate a story about toys that behave like human beings. But what is the... Um, so what I have discovered like in the world yeah. like it said you like if they say you must write your own book how would okay let's say the world the world said you must write a new book how will your new book will be i will choose any experience that i think i can talk a lot about and write a book out of that in other words any any one of us can write a book, but what makes it easier writing that book is sitting with all of these things that are happening and saying, I want to zoom into this one and I'm going to create a book out of it. And you'll be amazed that as much as you have chosen only one thing to zoom into, others also start showing you that I can have a relationship as a chapter in what you have zoomed into. And before you know it, it's not only one thing that you thought you were going to be writing about, but a couple of them all of them combining into a beautiful story that flows. write if they said you, you can write many books? <laughs> How many books? Okay, so far I've written four books. Can I still write more? I think there's a lot that is happening that I still find interesting that I can develop uh, storylines out of. Okay, Most I'm done asking questions. <laughs> 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 um, I'm inspired by this young man. Yeah. So here, here's a question, and I think it's one that we, 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 we... You were 23 when you got paralyzed. Yes. Man, you... In as much as you were doing well and everything else, you were still starting out. Yeah, that's true. Um, reconfiguring is easy when... You know, and I've seen it with people not even getting disabled. Just simply... Uh, the loss of status and all sorts of other things and, yeah. and all of that. And, and, and the question here is, what, what pointers would you give to somebody who has just been paralyzed in the prime of their years? And what mental frame would you attribute your so psychological recovery to? So if, if, if somebody now, you know, they, they had a great loss, not even getting paralyzed, they, they had a great loss um, and, and all of that. What are the key things that they would have to watch, even psychologically, as they look to recover? The, 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 f the first thing that you need to do when things happen at this, do you say, level of gravity? Yes. Never, ever accept, but embrace. 
what is the difference between accepting and embracing to accept is to take things as they are and say well it has happened what can i possibly do to change things like what south africans have done which is probably the worst thing that we did to this democracy yes. to accept that things have changed and then sit back and say well let it flow it can't happen like that you have to embrace the fact that this has happened number one it begins with fully understanding that you have been given a second chance it could have all been taken away and number two that you have not been then thrown into a vacuum I was not thrown into a vacuum when I was paralyzed. I was thrown into a, a vibrant sector of people that could welcome me, number one, and even open up to any of my questions if I needed to know anything. But on top of that, with demonstrating that I was willing to learn, also opened various platforms for me to perform my message. So the first thing that has to happen is a mind shift from acceptance to embracing. Because in accepting, then you are arresting the process. But in embracing, you are literally opening yourself up to the process for it to teach you about what is to come. I believe I was paralyzed at the prime of my life. Honestly, I, 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 I was paralyzed at the zenith of my energies. Let me tell you something. I finished school at 16, and already at 16, my father had taken me and thrust me in front of an audience of a hundred, hundreds of people as a tutor at a Saturday school. And that alone came with a lot of, what do you call it? Uh, clout. Yes. And, uh, you know, what, what do you call it? Position. Yes. We are, I mean, I was no longer the ordinary. They were the ordinary audience. I was the teacher in front of this audience. I finished, I, I then started university at the age of 17. By the age of 19, I was already, before I even graduated for my junior degree, I was already junior, not junior, a tutor at both third, when I was doing third year, mm -hmm. third and second year, and also assisting at first year level at the University of Natal. Yeah. I then, uh, still continuing at what you call this thing, at this Saturday school, so the audience was always growing bigger. I then went into industry at a time when black faces were required for transformation. So the cloud was already up there in a company that employed anything up to 300 workers, all of them who were older than me by far. Yes. but would give me that respect and I would give them the respect of the fact that we needed each other at that moment of change. I was already driving, enjoying a salary and many other things. So yes, I was 23, but a lot had already happened. If I had accepted that things had changed, all of the trajectory that had taken me to where I was when I was paralyzed was meaningless. But I embraced and leaned closer to the sector itself, people with disabilities, to family and new friends and opportunities that were coming through. And here I am today, or here we all are today. The additional question here is, 
What gave you hope? The fact that I was still alive and that tomorrow was going to find me, whether weeping or laughing. Because there was absolutely nothing that was saying I was going to be dead the following day. I only had a spinal cord that I twisted to a point where I lost mobility. Yes. I could have done any other thing. There's only one thing that could have led to a death about me. It was suicide, and I was not prepared to go that direction. So that just gave me hope that at least to tomorrow I'm still going to be seeing the sun rising and, and what you call this thing, uh, and, uh, and setting. But I was not only just going to be following it as it rose and set, I was going to be running with it. As you took your message to other provinces, Santa Wills was born, mm. you started your relationship with the Khautrain, mm. um, and but you went further than that. You, you started advocacy that goes beyond that. I mean, for instance, for me, my, my, my intriguing, the intriguing story here is deep. Mm. Disability Economic Empowerment uh, Program. Mm. I don't think a lot of people have ever thought of it in that way. I always think deep. Everything has to be very deep. And remember that it's not deep for another. Yeah. Deep for me first. Okay. Before it's even deeper for the next person. A lot of what I've done, and I mean it when I say so, I honestly did for myself first. You test the waters before you go and swim. You don't test waters and then say, hey, Everybody goes swim. You test and then you jump in. I always just wanted to test and jump in and then tell other people, it's possible, let's go. And if all of us could be as selfish as that, especially at the genesis of an idea, then we give, it, uh, we, we give to ourselves enough experience and enough confidence to say, hey, this can work for another person. Why, why did I go for Santa Wills? Who doesn't want to be a Santa that is different from the usual. I did it for myself first, just for the joy of knowing that I could have the capacity to be a Santa Claus or Santa Wills that gives out gifts to children for the fun of it, for going back to my children wearing that suit and say, hey, I even have the toys. And then with that confidence of knowing that it's now happening, I can then distribute to us the whole world. Otherwise, we, we can't be living in a society where we're so humble to a point of saying, I did it for them because it had to be done. I did it for myself first, which is why I said to you, I get high on my stash before distributing it to other people to really taste the power. <laughs> Musa, you've been up Kilimanjaro. You've jumped out of a plane. You've stood uh, on the Lincoln Memorial. You've looked <laughs> the obelisk straight down there. What's next for Musa Zulu? Let me tell you something. I've never climbed mountain Kilimanjaro, but I did. It was not me that climbed up that mountain. It was my book, The Language of Me, when a climber took it to yes. Mount Kilimanjaro. And to me, my book is myself. So you're right to say I've climbed mountain <laughs> Kilimanjaro. But certain things are even much better when done by someone else taking your product than yourself taking your product. Because that means those people really respect you symbolically such that they'll take you anywhere. But yes, I've been there with Lincoln Memorial and I've also jumped out of an aeroplane to, to, to skydive. What is next for me? I'll tell you what is next for me. To take 
a child with a disability on a skydiving experience. Yes, I think I would love to do that. Especially because suddenly you realize up there just how vulnerable you are, yet so powerful as you face it head on. And as a person with a disability to be accorded the experience to be up there and jetting down at anything up to 250 kilometers per hour, you suddenly realize that there is nothing that can stop you. Probably the best gift that I've ever given to myself was the skydiving experience. The Lincoln Memorial was one of those moments when you want to feel history, to be part of history. The same was Mount Kilimanjaro. It was someone respecting me and ascending a mountain with my product in hand. But to throw myself out of a moving aeroplane uh, those kilometers above and shoot down to earth was a test of, of courage that no other person can ever give to me except for myself. And as a person with a disability, that's where you really come to discover that you can be everything and anything can be you. Yeah. Thank you, Musa, and thank you for an incredible interview. I think we, we need a second round, but we will do more books when we do the second round. Um, thank you to the company, Valala Arts itself. Um, thank you to uh, the people that have always made this possible. Uh, thank you to Neville there for insisting that this must happen. And, uh, and thank you to everybody from our staff at the Hout Rain and the and in this moment would like to pay tribute to the late uh, Ingrid uh, Dr. Ingrid Janssen who passed away of COVID in, in, in this year. Um, she was the pioneer that linked up with Musa initially and uh, to that we say, you know, may um, her family be, you know comforted uh, comforted and, and, yeah. and, and, and be blessed in the way we do things. And on that note, thank you, sir. And thank, thank you, you for your efforts. Thank you very much to all of you, especially to the students that made it all the way to here, to the culture and management agency, as you have already indicated, every other person in the room, but mostly to South Africa for allowing me the platform to, to do what comes naturally and has to be done. Thank you. Uh, you're killing me, yeah? <laughs> <laughs>